Today's episode of PFL is brought to you by Game Time. All right, time for a little pop quiz. Do you think Tennessee tickets are cheaper three weeks before the game or three hours before the game? I don't know, but Game Time does. Game Time, the ticket buying app that proves patience is more than just a virtue, it can save you some serious cash. Game Time is the leader in last minute tickets. So pick your deal, you can see the view from where you're sitting, and buy all in just two taps. More than 12 million fans have downloaded the Game Time app and discovered the fastest, easiest way to get into the game. So download Game Time in the App Store or Google Play. Work that clock to your advantage and score last-minute tickets. Welcome to this week's free episode of PFL, Pod for Life. Uh, Appreciate you guys listening, and and the response has been very cool. And and, uh, to keep it going, like, rate, review, subscribe. On iTunes, it always helps the show. Welcome to my guest, uh, Joe Rexrow. Joe, uh, if I can take just a quick moment to be to be serious, I, I just want to say I was a little nervous today. I almost texted you. I didn't want to add to, to what was already, I'm sure, uh, a stressful situation. I don't want to step on your toes or tell our listeners more than you'd like to, but I just want to say I'm, I'm really glad that you made it out of Nissan Stadium alive and, and did not suffer an injury from an errant Caro Santos field goal. So, I know others, I, Man, I, I was know really wondering so where lucky. you were going there. There's so many possibilities. I know, others, I know others weren't so lucky, but Joe, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you. Yes, my goodness. What, what, a, what a great week for uh, sports fans in the state of Tennessee, huh? I guess if you're like a Tennessee or a Vanderbilt fan, at least you have like the loss of your rival to enjoy. But, uh, I mean, it was so bad that even, like, the Nashville Predators lost to the lowly Detroit Red Wings and have are 1-10 against them in the last 11. But uh, the two uh, SEC teams in the state, I'd say one of them probably turned out, the one that we're talking about in this podcast, about like we thought. The other one, mm-hmm. Vanderbilt. Oh, we won't get into that, but my goodness, 31-6 to <laughs> at Ole Miss. I, I will say, I you know, some ball sunshine. I, I'm feeling better and better about the Vols beating Vanderbilt in the uh, in the finale. If you want to jump ahead real fast, there. Famous last words. Yeah. Famous last words. <laughs> we can forget that by you know, the time we get to that week. You know, after Brian Maurer's second touchdown pass, I was concerned we were going to have to just rename this show the Brian Maurer Podcast for the next <laughs> three or four years. Uh, but BMF a little bit in the second half. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> He cooled off quite a bit in the second half. George is certainly thankful for that. But a complicated debut for him. I think I called it memorable, electric, and flawed. What did you make of uh, a, a spunky uh, debut for, uh, for for Mr. Mr. Brian Maurer? Look, I mean, there's some hope out of this. And, and, and certainly, you know, things kind of course-corrected in the second half, and Georgia got after him. I mean, I'll tell you this too of the of the energy and the excitement and a couple fantastic throws he made in this game. Also, got to give him some credit for popping up and being on the sideline and tell everybody, "Yeah, I'm okay, I'm all right." After the monster hit he took, that of course led to a you know a scoop and score for Georgia. Um, I, look, he showed a lot of intangibles and some really nice touch on the football. And then, you know, the interception and some other moments, he looked like a freshman. But I think at least. They've got something here. I'm surprised, frankly, that that he went with Maurer, that Jeremy Pruitt went with Maurer over Garantano. 
think it pretty much ends Garantano as you know as a starter barring injury but it, it makes the rest of the season one about seeing what Maurer can do and, and, and how he can develop and look there are some games on the schedule ahead if they play like they did for however many minutes they really hung in there against Georgia you know that can be a winning effort against Mississippi State some of these other teams on the schedule ahead yeah, you know, uh, if you guys are not subscribers to The Athletic, I would encourage you to, to do that. And I talked to Brian Maurer's high school coach, who he's very, very close with, after the game on Saturday night. And, and you know, he kind of walked me through last week. Like, last week, well, there wasn't really much debate. I mean, the coaching staff teed it up for Brian Maurer to, to take the starting job. Um, they were really hoping that he would do it um, and, and, and kind of making sure that he had every chance to do that. And, and he took advantage of that. But... You know, talking to him, just I've talked to him a few times in the past, but just pressure situations like that, the, the the big stage, he really thrives on that, and you saw that. He was not scared. I mean, we saw that from the first drive for the rest of, you know, really the whole game. Georgia obviously went full Georgia late. We saw kind of them at their, their peak uh, grinded out form, but he did not look like a, a true freshman. The stage didn't get to him, and I think there's something to be said for that. And you talked about the interception. You know, Jerry Pruitt broke that down, which made a lot of sense. You know, they ran that, that deep uh, route down the left side. You know, Maurer, that's the right read. I mean, Callaway was open, but he doesn't look off the safety. He puts a little too much air on it. That's inexperience. That's all that is. Um, that's not, you know, a guy who's scared or, or making some, you know, terrible decision. It's the right decision not executed quite right. Um, and maybe overthrew it a little bit, but Callaway also stumbled. So that was, you know, we didn't see a lot of throws that were, you know, him sort of playing with fire or, 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 oh, he got lucky on that one. It was a lot of guys are getting open and he's putting it on them. And I think that was what stood out to me uh, personally. Yeah, and look, and he's go- he is going to be certainly more of a, of a, a running threat than Garantano was. Um, you know, so I mean, in theory, they didn't use it. <laughs> well, in theory, yeah. yeah. I, mean, I, I think we've seen enough of him moving around that I think he, yeah. he has more ability anyway. Um, and I will say another thing, too, you know, for Garantano, because this is one of those things where you're going to watch that guy closely, and every time the cameras went to Garantano, it did look to me like he was really doing what you would hope. And I know Jeremy Pruitt said so afterward, but coaches sometimes will say that no matter what happens. Mm-hmm. I thought he he seemed to be really handling it well and working with Maurer, and I think he deserves a, a little credit for that because it can't be easy. It's also, right now, it does remind me a little bit of two years ago when, you know, the, the season got away, everyone knew Butch Jones was, was gone, but when Garantano gets out there and takes over for Quentin Dormady and everybody sees this exciting young guy who's got all this fire and look at the future. I mean, you you, you got to be really careful right now to draw big conclusions on Maurer, but I don't think there's any question that we saw some promising things. Yeah, and I think too, you know, uh, Garantano has has done, you know, pretty much since that 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 early part of that year, everything he'd want him to do. And I think for all the folks that are sort of keeping an eye out, I mean, there, there's no advantage for him going in the tank at this point. He's already used up his redshirt year, so the four games thing is kind of irrelevant. He's already got his degree, so if he wants to leave at the end of the season, or if that's something that happens. Uh, you know, he'll be able to do that regardless of what happens. And, 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 you know, this is the type of situation that, you know, if he's going to try and, and make a, a career out of this and play at the next level, uh, this is the kind of thing that, that, that NFL folks are going to care about as well. And I think, uh, 
you know, for Garantano, it's you talk about the injury aspect of it as well. You got a true freshman who's going to be setting some protections, and he obviously took a huge hit last night, a few others, and he, he does like to run. They need Garantano. I mean, Jer- Jeremy Putin said it last night. You know, Jerry Garantano is going to help us win some games. That's the kind of guy he is. And also, you know, between whether it's coaching, whether it's stepping in if he gets banged up, whether, uh, you know, Maurer doesn't play well and Garantano takes the reins back again this year, all those things are possible. Uh, and they, they're going to need him playing whatever role he needs to play. And, and I think he there is no advantage to him and no reason for him other than, you know, if, if, if there's pettiness. There's no reason for him to not play that role. And I think that's, that's, that's huge for Tennessee moving forward. You know, I was trying to give him some credit, David, but I suppose you make sense there. <laughs> yeah, no. no, you're right, of course. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you look – Everyone in this, it, it this is a bit, this is big business, and this is these players have to be smart and think about that. And certainly, like you said, I mean, I don't know what his NFL chances are realistically, but yeah, he's going to be, I would assume, a grad transfer somewhere next year. That'd be my guess on him. If I was a betting man, that's what I would bet on personally. So you're right. I'm sure there's some measured, you know, discussions that go into that about, hey, you know, don't be the malcontent. But I still, it looked like there were times when he was really engaging well with Maurer and. Mm-hmm. actively, you know, helping him out and, and talking things through. And so, you know, and that, that's that's what you hope for as a coach. And like you said, we don't know what's going to happen. There there are some hits to be taken ahead for Maurer. So uh, Garantano may may end up with, uh, you know, extensive snaps ahead yet this season. Mm-hmm. And on Maurer, I thought it was really interesting. You know, this may shock you, but Jeremy Pruitt was not real forthcoming about exactly the game plan for Maurer. But if you watched closely – it definitely looked like they simplified things. First off, you know, the script coming out was great. You know, Jim Chaney obviously scripts early. Quick reads. But it seemed like most of the game plan was let him focus on a couple reads, one to three reads. If it's there, put it on him. If it's not, get rid of the ball. Don't hang on to it. Don't avoid the disaster play. He's got a long way to go, like you said. This can go a number of ways. Uh, you know, I don't think we saw the second coming of Peyton Manning out there, but we saw a guy who's got who can make some throws. He's got a lot to prove, but I, I don't think fans really need to temper their enthusiasm. I mean, he showed a lot. There's a lot of promise there, a lot to work with. Um, and I think the biggest thing is you just didn't see a ton of, uh, like I said, mistakes or, or playing with fire on him. He's got to, you know, maybe miss some guys, probably have a couple throws he'd like back, and, and the third quarter was a little bit rough. Um, but he's also playing Georgia. Not every team's Georgia, so... Uh, it's it's encouraging all around um, on the quarterback front, I would say, for the fans who have been clamoring for, for a change in a while. They got it, and, and Maurer took advantage of that. I agree. And now talking about enthusiasm, you know, I, I do feel like I'm seeing a lot of it for the rest of the season, big picture from Vols fans based on Tennessee hanging in it with Georgia maybe longer than people expected. It does kind of remind me of last year's game. Both of those final scores, if you just scan them, you're like, eh, that's about right. But in both games, Tennessee, I thought, really showed a lot more fight than maybe some people expected. Um, I, st- I would still temper that, although, hey, it's it's one game right now to get a win. Can you get an SEC win? I think you and I probably agree, David, that Mississippi State is, is an opportunity. And if you do get that one, then maybe you can build from there. I do think there's op- – I mean, we've kind of dismissed the bowl game idea. I still think it seems far-fetched to collect yeah. that many. But at least, you know, with Mississippi State, you start to you start to feel different about things than you did after that Florida game when it's like, I mean, how bad is it going to get here? Yeah, everything feels 
better after a win um, for people inside the facility. And and I think it comes down to just a simple question, Joe. It, is the offense better with Brian Maurer versus Jared Garantano? And I think when you watch, granted, small sample size, but I don't even think that you have to think about that question. And, and you look at the reason for it, I mean, certainly quarterback play was a big part. Uh, do you feel like there's any argument to the contrary there? No, I mean, I can't, I can't make the argument. I mean, I made the argument after Florida that if you make the switch, you're basically punting on the season. So, you know, I guess I should argue further on that to like not contradict myself, but I, <laughs> you know, but I, I mean, look, I, I, I liked what Maurer did. You have to look at, look at him and, and I'm still, I'm still confused and puzzled as to why that is, because I think Garantano should, should be doing better. And I think it's a quick abandonment of him, you know, from the perspective of this new, you know, offensive coordinator. I mean, it's only four games, but Hey, I mean, then again, it's a third of a season. And so I, no, I mean, I, I can't sit here after watching what Maurer did and say, they, they they definitely have a better chance with Garantano. I think there's certainly some things they can do pre-snap. And like you said, I think they did simplify things for Maurer more than they would for Garantano. So maybe that catches up with them, but I think you ride with this. Yeah, I mean, I, I just think it's, you know, you, you look at, at what they can do and, and looking into the future. I mean, I just think Maurer at this point, you know, it, it didn't look like they were – uh, you know, saying we're going to take our lumps. I mean, they were better. I was surprised. Um, you know, and Garantano obviously came in there and made a nice throw. I think the question is how much do we see of uh, that middle section of the first and second quarter and how much do we see in the third quarter when he's one for four for zero yards, a pick, two sacks, and a run for no gain? Like, that's, that is a discouraging stat line against a very good team. Um, but, uh, you know, it's, like I said, yesterday, complicated to say the least. Uh, so moving on to Mississippi State. Uh, going into this week, Joe, a big big question. Is this a must win? I'm kind of torn. For me, it, it feels just as big as BYU because when you've got Alabama on the schedule, you've got Georgia on the schedule, every winnable game for this team just feels huge. So must win, maybe that's a little much, but am I crazy for introducing those two words into the uh, conversation? No, I mean, to me, I, I don't hesitate to say it's a must-win because even though it may be a remote possibility for this team to actually get to six in a bowl game, you know it's not happening if you lose this game. And if you win it, you know, you – I mean, you – You avoid 0 for October. That's, yeah, that's you avoid 0 for, for October. Thing. And, again, I think you – as crazy as it is, you got a little bit of excitement back, you know, for this team. I mean, it's a one-in-four football team. How much can you actually get back? Well – have you seen the Tennessee fan base? You know, I mean, they want they want to find some things to believe in. So I think if you get that W, like you said, everybody feels better in the building, but I think people feel better around town too and around, you know, Vol Nation. And you lose it, and it really is. I mean, the rest of the year, the numbers are not – they aren't there. They, they aren't there for you. And no. so, no, I mean, I, I mean, maybe I like to just throw that term around liberally anyway. But, yeah, must win all the way, baby. Bob Shoop revenge game. Get ready. Oh, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> so, Joe, uh, we need to talk about one of my personal favorite hours of the week, um, Vol Calls. Oh, I yeah. I didn't think we'd be talking about it very much. Uh, for those of you who 
did not pay attention uh, this week. Uh, Phil Fulmer goes out, gives, uh, I would call it a full-throated voice of support for Jeremy Pruitt. Says his own coaching days are behind him. Obviously trying to put to rest the, what do we want to call this? I don't think conspiracy theory is fair. I think just chatter, we'll say, of him stepping in at some point. Uh, what did you make of, of, of uh, Phil Fulmer taking the mic at Vol Calls for the first time and, and speaking out for the first time since things have kind of gone off the rails for Tennessee here? Yeah, it's all very interesting because there have been quite a few media reports from connected media members that have sort of hinted at this idea of a Fulmer takeover during the season. Uh, you know, anyone who thinks that it's just like people throwing stuff at the wall, taking guesses, you know, that's that, guess again. I mean, that, that's not what it is. There are people talking out there. Um, I thought, you know, Ful- the idea of Fulmer coming on vol calls and giving the, the old, you know, the dreaded you know, vote of confidence to Pruitt is not surprising at all. I mean, that's what ADs do in just about any situation. But he was so forceful in saying, you know, my coaching days are over. I, I thought that part was notable. And so I'm on the side of I never really believed that he was really going to do this, and I don't think he is now. I'm taking him at his word. I'm taking him at the idea that he does not want to say, oh, just kidding. I lied a few weeks ago. If this team gets to <laughs> one and seven or whatever it is, um, you know, I, there's a lot of reasons why, but I, I feel I feel pretty good about that. You you don't necessarily agree well, here, with me. Here's or am the I... thing. Here's the thing. I, it's not that I'm not taking him at his word. Here, here's what I said. Do, do I think he has some master plan to take over? No, I obviously do not believe that. Am I willing to say there's a non-zero chance that this happens? Yes. If Tennessee gets into a situation, I doubt that it's this year. Perhaps it's next year. Where Jeremy Pruitt is gone, or they, or the fan outcry, or the fan seats become so, uh, you know, so uh, troublesome, they can't sell tickets, and there's no hope of getting to a bowl game. Uh, I think again, you're talking about next year. That's probably a scenario that could happen, maybe this year, but I, I'd say probably the, probably next year if that's where it goes. Here's the scenario. Here's here's where he's got. Okay. So you you say Jeremy Pruitt is not there anymore, and you need to install an interim coach. How much, how many fans are showing up to Neyland Stadium if Philip Fulmer, figurehead as he may be in that position, is the interim coach versus like Jim Chaney? Think about how much money there is to be made in that situation. That's, and he doesn't want, you know, he can sell it as I didn't want to do this, but you know, the fans, we knew we had to make a change. The fans are out there, and I don't think he would say, well, I'm doing a ton, you know, he's going to have some input, but you know, but that's the scenario that I think that if this ever happens, that that is what happens. And it's a situation where you get some energy into the program. More importantly, you get some money into the program. And if you're sitting in a situation where you have your two and six or whatever, or two and seven in the, you know, in, in the end of two or two, 2020, and you have four or five games left, what, what better situation is there to, in, to introduce some excitement of the program than, than Phil Fulmer on the sidelines? And so that's what I'm saying. Mm. I don't think he has some master plan, but I'm saying that there is an upside and a situation where it would make a lot of sense for him to, to 
to slap on the headset uh, again, and there's a lot of upside there. That's my point. All right. Well, first of all, that's that's very different from this. Uh, you know the the uh, you know this the master plan this, thing. Yeah, I've this never diabolical former thing. Okay. I do not believe that. <laughs> so so I could buy that next year as a scenario, but I do question this idea that there would be excitement. There would be continued and increased from now anger that he made a poor choice of head coach. True. I mean, these are the same people who wanted him out 12 years ago, right? I mean, I understand people were excited. Well, but and, they've seen it's careful what you wish for a situation true. over the last the, decade. True, but like excitement? I just, I don't, I don't know. I think excitement. I think there's a lot of Tennessee there. fans who would say that this is pretty cool, even though, you know, they're frustrated with the state of the program and all those things. I mean, just my point is compare it to the alternative. That's the point. Yes. How many butts in the seats is, does interim coach Jim Chaney put versus interim coach Phil Fulmer? It is more exciting than the Bra- middle of next year. Than Brady Hoke's stirring tenure. <laughs> I would I would agree that I would love know, to be your football coach, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> I like to talk in all caps. Uh yeah, but no, I listen, I, I I suppose but it's almost like, okay, let's go out and like cheer for Phil one night and then never watch again. You know, I, I mean I I'm course, just saying yeah. that's like I said, I do I believe this is going to happen? Do I believe it is likely? No. Do I believe that there is a non-zero chance? Yes. Do I believe Philip Fulmer has no intention of taking over? I do. But I'm just saying there's a scenario out there where it would make, you know, I uh, my golden rule of realignment is if it makes sense, C-E-N-T-S, it makes sense, S-E-N-S-E. And I'm just saying. You're saying there's a chance. <laughs> and, and as for the as for the so-called, you know, kiss of death slash vote of confidence, I, I actually did not take it like that. And I... There's no real teeth to it to make a recruiting thing. I just think, you know, he hasn't said anything since this thing has gone badly. And I don't, I don't think it's much more complicated than just saying, hey, I've still got Jeremy's back. He's not saying that can't change in the future. There's no contract extension. I don't think it's really a recruiting thing. I think any, you know, recruit that, that asks around is going to be able to see through, hey, it's, it's not going great at Tennessee right now. But I just think, you know, he felt the need to, to say something, and a university-sponsored radio show is a good place to do it. Yeah, no, yeah, that's true. You're right. And I should go back. I guess I always say, I always talk about, you know, votes of confidence as like the dreaded because it's just like, oh, don't do that. You know, even if it's like totally yeah, it all, genuine. They always come when it, they always come when like, you know, the, the guillotine is like hanging. You yeah, that's not really this. Like, yeah. This is not that. And this we're is not close that. to that. No. Yeah. And I think it was genuine. I mean, again, like it's just. This is where it's like you've got the anger and some of the awful things we've seen on these Saturdays that exaggerate the situation. But, I mean, if you're Philip Fulmer, you have to feel that way, right? I mean, you you went through a lot of investigation in in hiring this guy. You've been there with him all along the way. You know what he's about, and you, you probably – blame him for some things and probably not for some things, but you've got, you've got to support him because again, you are admitting that you completely fouled this up. If not pretty much, pretty much. Um, I do. I'm torn because I, I do think just the state, the state of the roster is, is troubling, but also, you know, to think to, to the flip side of that argument is one, I, I don't believe this team is playing up to its potential. I think that's pretty obvious. And you just glance down at Florida. Not it's the same situation, but they were what four and eight, you know, in 2017 too. And Dan Mullen seems to have uh, turned that ship around pretty pretty quick. Um, different situation, different coach. Not a perfect analogy, 
But to say that, you know, certainly Tennessee should be in a bowl game, um, and, and they are they are currently not. And, you know, we could talk about the reasons why. I mean, the coaching staff, the mismanagement of the Georgia State game, the, the final mistake against BYU, a game that you'd probably deserve to win. Wild times, but, um, you know, it's, it's, it's just sort of where, where we're kind of, you know, where Tennessee is at. But, well, I, it, real uh, quick, David, you brought up Mullen, and I, I did – I mean, I did have the thought when they beat Auburn, and I'm like, man, think about how close <laughs> this came to Chip Kelly, who is m- failing miserably at UCLA. More in, bad luck in for, Gainesville. Uh, for Tennessee. Yeah, <laughs> and Dan Mullen, a, a, a guy, a proven guy who I, th- I think did things at Mississippi State that a lot, most coaches would not have been able to do, doing uh, some pretty magical stuff at Florida. But, hey, it's just not what reality is. So you gotta you got to live in reality. Indeed. Well, that will wrap our conversation. Uh, before you guys go, we've got a, a special treat uh, on the back end of this episode. Later this week, uh, for our subscribers-only show, uh, I talked to Keller Christ about name, image, and likeness coming to college football. He has a pretty interesting story. Obviously, Keller Christ, Tennessee's backup, a graduate transfer from Stanford uh, a year ago. Well, Keller had a business in college, and he basically had to hide it. <laughs> to operate it and not jeopardize his eligibility in the name image likeness debate and as that comes to college sports there's all kinds of conversations about oh handouts and recruiting and all this but there's a lot more complicated stuff that goes into that as well and and uh, keller and i talked about some of the big issues some of the unforeseen issues and and of course tennessee's team this year and and what he sees in, in jerry garantano so uh fans i think you'll appreciate that and and if you're not a subscriber here's a little taste but Go ahead and, and subscribe, and you'll be able to, to uh, listen to that full conversation uh, later this week. So that will do it for this week's episode of PFL. Again, rate, review, subscribe uh, on iTunes. It only helps the show if you like it. And uh, we will see you guys again next week. How much, how much talk is there in locker rooms? The idea that you know, there's so much money being made, and, and yes, you guys are, are benefiting in, in some ways, but you're still being limited. The market's being limited. How much talk is there you know, among teams about that kind of thing? Um, I, I'd say just like in general, it's, it's definitely a talking point that, you know, guys wish they had more money. Um, mm-hmm. And I even kind of along those same lines, I heard Urban Meyer talk about the other day that when, if it's only four maybe guys that are on team making that, you know, high endorsement money um, or bringing a large por- por- uh, portion of the money while everyone else isn't, that can cause a lot of locker room disparity um, you know, why are you making this and I'm not type of thing? Um, I even had a two and a half hour argument with my girlfriend the other day about it too, but it's, it's a <laughs> thing that, <laughs> it's a thing that I think one being for whatever years down the line to 2023, we have some time to structure it out. And I don't know if it's a limit or a cap on how much you can make at a certain time or whatever it is, but I think it's, um, it's definitely something to consider. Um, the teams I'm on. I, I, it's hard to it's hard to kind of put yourself in, you know, if one or two guys on the team were making, I don't even know how much you can say, hundred thousand dollars, you're making a grand. You know, it's is there is there kind of that, you know, uh, you know, disparity and type of um, certain type of feelings toward teammates and you know ca- cause some turmoil on the team. And I don't know. I think for a, for a team that's weaker in structure, doesn't have a lot of backbone of you know, trust in um, the foundations of a good football team that can probably cause a lot of um, disgruntlement. But 
I mean, it's 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 hard to say. And each situation is going to be different. Yeah, I think you know, I'd be curious to see how that plays out. But I think in the times we have seen, I think last year it was either I forget who was making three point seven or four point three, but Kyler Murray was making more money or as much money as his head coach last year, and it didn't it didn't yeah. uh, it didn't it didn't hurt him or it didn't hurt their team. I mean, he he won the Heisman. I think uh, uh, you know every business is like that. You know, every sports team is like that, the pro sports teams. But I think, too, like, all those guys are earning a living wage. And I think it's it's interesting to see, you know, like you said, if somebody's making 100000 versus 1000 if that if that does come into play. Um, but at the same breath, I mean, uh, it, it's better than nothing. And I think those situations are, are probably going to be fair. Somebody's not going to be making a ton of money if they don't deserve it. You're, the free market says you are what you're worth. You know, you're worth what somebody will pay you for. So it's uh, – I'll be interested to see – how that plays out, but how uh, are guys going to have to be? You, you think educated on opportunities and shown their financial potential, or are guys that you've played with in the past like very aware and sort of handcuffed? I mean, beyond the sort of ex- the the sort of outliers, the average guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think this will benefit kind of the whole college football education system in general because guys are going to have to learn about money management, financial, you know, financial rules and kind of things that go by that they didn't learn before. I mean, I went to, I graduated from Stanford and I'm learning all this stuff right now on my own, just, you know, looking stuff up online. It's the type of thing where it doesn't get taught and you can, it opens the door for a lot of lessons and you can bring in certain speakers to help, you know, teach certain concepts or um, financial rules, anything like that. And I think um, that can be very beneficial. Mm-hmm. Where where do you stand on the idea of actual pay for play, and where do you think most guys stand? Um, in my opinion, see, uh, looking from my opinion, I came from a fortunate family. I I think, and it all depends on the school, that you know, image, name image likeness is enough, along with our um, scholarship stipend, our pay, our. Uh, cost of attendance check mm-hmm. and you know the meals the housing that we get um on top on top of everything so in my opinion i think that could be enough um but you know some people that might not be the case you know they feel like they have to help brothers and sisters struggling send money back home that that's a different thing i saw you know tebow had his tim tebow had his little um speech on i think first take and you know that kind of blew up and there's a lot of backlash on that, you know. You know, you, if you come from a privileged family, it, it could be a different story. Um, and I think it all depends on the situation. But um, actually feeding, um, actually giving a player a monthly, you know, a significant amount of money, I think that's kind of, in my opinion, not not the right step. I think I don't know. It all determines. Um, it all differs um, depending on what school you're from, but. You know, I think if you're getting free money, free or sorry, free food, free housing, um, you know, free, you get some clothes, just like, you know, athletic wear clothes mm-hmm. um, and, and, and all that, obviously your education, too. That's, you know, that's close to one hundred thousand dollars, if not more. So that's that's a good amount of money that's being invested into you. And I think the name of your likeness gives you got gives players an opportunity to make a few extra dollars and. Depending on your place, you're getting a good amount in your. Um, you should be getting a good amount in your um, scholarship check and your cost of attendance check. 
Mm-hmm. Would you have any other, any other stray thoughts or, or things I didn't ask about? You know, on on the, this name image likeness sort of change that I think you know it's going to be an interesting next few years as we sort of see other states. But but any other thoughts that, that you've had on that? Um, I would say, I guess, kind of one of the things I've I've talked to some people about is is women's sports Title Nine. I think it's beneficial in that aspect. Um, I think when when you have the idea that someone like a Christian McCaffrey or Bryce Love is getting the money that the school was previously getting or the NCAA was previously getting, um, they're taking away funds to um, help financial aid for women's sports or anything like that. And I mean, I could see that's a, how that could be a reasonable argument, but um, it, I, I don't think that would have an effect. And I think um, scholarships are largely driven by boosters and donors and um, regardless of the sport. And I think um, I don't think women's sports, women's financial aid or scholarships will be um, hurt from this, from this new image, image likeness ruling. Indeed. Well, thanks, Keller. I appreciate you joining us. Uh, this is another episode of, uh, of PFL. PFL.